Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. We, we uh, started a series last week to help us deal with lies. And, uh, and it's always a fun topic. Uh, some of you had some extra sleep. How many got some extra sleep? Yeah, if you have small kids, you know that means nothing. Because your kids just get up at 4 a.m. I don't know what my kids do. If any of you want to babysit kids. Uh, but, but you're rested. You know, I thought, this is the one time a year I probably have you in the most rested form. So I'm going to preach for two hours. I'm not going to get this until next year. <laughs> But we are, uh, we are inviting you in this series to think about being people who care about the truth, uh, to care about the truth in a new way. And, and I, I said this last week, so I want to say this again. Like nobody decides or, or wants to be someone who believes a lie. If you've ever believed a lie, like you feel dumb. Somebody ever tricked you to like buy something and you're like, oh, it's going to be great. It never breaks. You go at home, you plug it, it breaks. You're like... You know, we have like all kinds of mechanisms to protect us from this kind of scam, right? We have all kinds of things that we've made up because we live in a world where we're meant to be suspicious of other people who obviously might lie to us. And we find out that the Bible invites us to be people who pay attention to this, not only for like buying a product or being in a relationship, but to deal with this in our spiritual lives. And the Bible invites us to remember that the devil, one that the titles for the devil is that he's the father of lies, And this is such a difficult topic to think through and to work through in our minds because one of the things we have to do when we deal with this is we have to ask ourselves, are we people who sometimes lie? Are we people who tell the truth? Are we people who, who represent the truth? And, and I want to tell you something that really this rubs me in a certain way as a pastor because Jesus himself will call himself the truth. So people who love Jesus or call themselves Christians or claim that they study the Bible, whatever, should care about this in a very, very deep way. This week I was talking to somebody who is not a Christian, they don't believe in God, it's a friend of mine who's not sure what they believe about religion, and maybe you have someone like that, they're like into atheism and a lot of Buddhism and all kinds of mixed things together, okay? And they sent me this article that they found, it's on the CBC, and I, I want to share with you because it's about lies. And here's the article, you can go to the slide. The article is of, of a pastor And this pastor has fled to the Democratic Republic of Congo after failing to turn himself in to begin serving an eight-year prison sentence this summer. I read this. I was like, oh, this is great. It's going to be great for the church. This is great stuff. <laughs> How many of you know somebody who would read this and be like, well, I know an evangelical church. And after a while, you start to be like, you know what? All churches are like this. All pastors are like this. When this happens, all kinds of myths start to develop, that people start to make up their own beliefs about what they think church is like or not like. And, and I don't know the details of the story. It seems like a very complicated story. But we live in a world where people are wondering whether the church, Christians, people who claim that they love Jesus, pastors, are going to be serious when it comes to being people who tell the truth, who live the truth, 
who act in a certain way in a world with these kinds of stories. And I, I read this and I thought like, what do you say to some of this stuff? One of the things we have to say is we have to commit to calling out lies when we see them. We have to say that this person seems like that they, they've claimed to be a pastor but is definitely maybe not living in the ways of Jesus. You can take this off, but I, I, I want to tell you like how important it is for us to care about these issues as a church. Because lies and the things that we believe don't just overnight, like we don't wake up just believing them. They happen over time. And so last week we started this series about like how like myths or misconceptions kind of become lies that we start to believe. And over time we kind of believe them, then we live our lives according to them. And if you missed last week, this is really important. Maybe you're watching online, you can go back. I encourage you to kind of watch last week because it's kind of an intro about how these lies kind of take root in us. And then we start to believe them. And then when we believe something without thinking about it carefully, we pass it on. So then we're people who pass on lies. We start to share them without even maybe realizing or knowing it. And so we really are encouraging you to think carefully about some of the things we're looking at in this series and say this really important thing. God, am I someone who's maybe believed in something that over time has become like this lie that I live? This thing that I teach others that kind of actually, if I'm realizing and understanding this, it contradicts the teachings of the Bible. And this morning we're going to talk about one really in particular, this myth that I, I hear like all the time. I mean on the radio with people I talk with, like all the time that has to do with a myth and a lie that at the heart is the opposite of the good news of Jesus. Okay, and so we're going to talk about it and we're going to get honest about it and, and it's going to feel like it's going to rub you in kind of weird ways and it's this whole idea of karma. Karma, maybe you've heard this before, is this idea that people believe and, you know, I hear people talk about it in shows. The, the most shocking things is when I hear Christians talk about this. So if that's you, uh, I mean, just if, if I'm near you and I hear you say something like this, I might be like, hey, you know, rethink that in a nice way. <laughs> That might not be the whole truth, you know. And if you don't pay attention to me, then I'll say it in a meaner way. But the first time, I'm always nice, okay? So uh, karma is this idea that we live, basically we're told that we live in a world that's governed by a principle that you get what you deserve. It's a very simple principle. It's an ancient idea that if you do good things, guess what will happen to you? Good things. And if you do bad things, guess what will happen to you? Bad things. Like, there's this sense that almost everybody you meet that feels like, I think that's the way the world works. They kind of fall into that. And, and then when things happen to you, sometimes start to see that idea in your own life. Now, to help us with this, to make this very, very complicated, in 2019, a very famous music artist wrote a song that's called What Goes Around Comes Around. Some of you know it. Uh, some of you have heard it. Some of you have played it on, like, loop on YouTube. You know why I know? Because almost 400 million people have watched this video on YouTube. So you can go to the, the slide, and, and maybe that's you who's been watching this video. Almost 400, I think that's it. Yeah. Like a lot of people have watched this. And by the way, it's a nice song. Sometimes, you know, when I talk about something in culture, I, I think people think that I'm like, never listen to music, never watch movies, never talk to people who watch movies, and all that stuff. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? Nick, that was for you. Uh, it, it's just the idea that we live in a culture that sometimes we can hear stuff and after a while, you know, we're like, you know, I think that is true. That's, kinda, that's the principle of like karma, that what goes around comes around. And if you watch this crazy video, which I don't necessarily endorse, it's like a crazy video, there's this girl in the video who lies. She's a liar. Guess what we're talking about today? Okay, so 
she, she lies in the video and there's this scene where she's cheating and at the end of the video, something really profound happens. She dies in a car accident. It's, it's crazy. You watch, and it's almost like you feel that the whole video is meant to make you feel like, you know what? You get what you deserve. You lied, you deserve to die. That's really the principle of the whole thing. And it sounds so comical until you realize people live by this myth in their lives. They start to believe that when bad things happen to them, they start to say to themselves, you know what, maybe I deserve that. When they get sick or someone that they love is sick, you know what, maybe we deserve that. When there's a broken relationship that happens and they realize they're not sure how to get through it, they're like, you know, maybe I do deserve to be treated that way. And over time, this gets into the way we think about our faith. There's people that I meet and people who talk this way. They're like, you know what, people, if you're sick, you deserve it because there's like sin in your life. People preach this stuff. And you're probably wondering, how? I'm going to show you how. I'm going to show you what it's like to show you a verse in the Bible that if you read it by itself, it actually means what karma teaches. So if you read this verse in the Bible, it's in the book of Galatians, I'm going to show you this. It's really, really great. If you understand this, it's going to set you free when you get this. You go to the slide, okay? Sorry, that's me. I don't know. Every time I walk, it's the annoying thing. Okay, that's not true, by the way. That's a lie. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man or a woman reaps what they sow. Have you ever heard this before? If this is the only verse in the Bible we had, I would say this kind of sounds like karma. Whatever you reap is what you get. Whatever you sow is what comes back to you. That's really the principle. But you know what? You might know this. This is not the only verse we have in the Bible. This is one verse that's meant to be read in the whole story of the Bible together. And last week I talked about how all of these myths and lies we believe can almost be defended by finding some verse in the Bible to say, I just believe this. And this morning I want to invite you to think about what it means to be those who hear the Bible and learn to study the Bible in a way where we hear our lives that they make sense in the truth of the whole Bible. And what it means that we're people who pay attention to when we live in a culture that invites us to believe something and we're like, you know what, I don't think that's the whole truth. I don't think like that's the whole picture. Maybe that's just a snapshot and, and, and there is some truth to the fact that, you know, if you, there's, there's real truth to this. You know, every farmer knows the truth to this. Every parent knows the truth to this. But it's not a doctrinal principle that governs everything that we believe about life. And karma is this principle, this strange idea. After a while, when it gets in you, that you start to believe that all of life is governed by what you put into it is what you get out of it. Let me just tell you just to begin, if you fall asleep after this, that Jesus of Nazareth died on a cross for something he did not deserve. And the story of Christianity rises and falls on that. That alone is meant to crush karma. That alone. And on top of that, Jesus says, what if I tell you about a God who does not give you what you deserve? What if there was a God that loves you so much that when you deserve to die, he loved you? What if there was that? Would you be interested? Because one day, that's exactly what Jesus is going to do with a woman that he meets. And I want to take some time to just take you into the story where Jesus has this conversation with a woman that you'd never expect. You know, because in the Bible, so many people believe this principle that when bad things happen to you, the gods were kind of like punishing you or, 
you know, you deserve it. And they live by all of this. And so think about living your life consistently with a type of anxiety. And not even an anxiety you could deal with because it was like divine. And there was a whole industry of people in the Bible who you could pay to look for signs. They're like palm readers. They didn't just do it in an easy way. They, they did it in a very complicated way. Some people like looked at the inside of animals. They cut animals open and they looked at their body and they tried to figure out the right sign. If it was a good person to marry or... All right, it's going to be a good morning. Well, you might give me another mic. One more try. Okay, so... And I want to take you into this moment where Jesus is going to invite this woman and us to hear about what it means when we understand that we have a God who does not give us what we deserve. He does not. And the world actually is not even governed by that principle, although there is the truth that some things do impact how we make decisions, but it's not the whole story of how we understand our lives and our relationship to God. And we're told in John's Gospel, if you're watching online, you want to go back and watch this, in John's Gospel, chapter 4, there's this moment where Jesus almost creates this teachable moment for his disciples. This is what we're told. I'm going to read it for you. See it on the screen. It says this, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, and Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. This is where it all happens. Now, if you're reading your Bible, you're learning about Christianity, this is really important, that there's times when you're reading your Bible where Jesus does something very strategic to teach a lesson. And so I'm going to do something really important. Now. I'm going to give you a visual that I want you to keep in your mind, okay? I want you to remember the visual you're going to see. Because to understand this story, you have to understand something unique about Samaria. Everybody say Samaria. Samaria. It's a very unique place. Some of you maybe have visited. To this, today, Samaria, most likely scholars believe, is like the size of Laval. About almost like 400,000 people live in Samaria. Okay? So if you're looking at a map, this is, I want, I want you to see like this image in your mind. Okay? That Jesus is in Judea at the bottom, and he's going to go to Galilee. And everybody knew that when a Jewish leader went to Galilee from Judea, they didn't go through Samaria. They went around Samaria. Okay, you see the little red line there? I try, it's my artistry. But Jesus decides that he's going to go through Samaria. There was like this animosity between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. Just think of a person that you don't like. Got it? Then think about the group of people they represent. Got it? Okay, so think about Samaritans that way. If you can, you avoid them. Especially when you see them at the mall, when we used to go to the mall. Remember? Like you see, you're like, oh, they're over there. I hope they don't see me. You run really, really fast. You get away. Maybe they're people of another culture. Maybe your friend, you're like, I don't want to see them, whatever. Maybe they're people who live, I don't know, in RDP. Oh, whatever. <laughs> this place, there's, prob there's problems. <laughs> My brother lives in RDP, so whatever. We'll deal with it. If you're watching, I love you, bro. Okay, so, <laughs> but, but this, you have to know this because Jesus does something that his disciples feel a type of anxiety about. They're like, are you going to tell him? Am I going to tell him? Like, this is kind of weird. He's setting us up. He's setting us up for something. It's going to be intense. And what we're told is that Jesus goes through Samaria, and then Jesus, so awesome, he gets tired. So it's not even like a fast walk through Samaria. Get out of here as fast as possible. Nobody sees us. He's like, guys, I'm so tired. Let's just stop here. Can you imagine the disciples? They're like, oh, my goodness, he's tired now. Right now, he has to be tired. Right now. 
Jesus stops at a well. And we're told that the disciples go into town. And Jesus is trying to teach them something, and he's trying to teach us something. And this is what happens next in the story. Now do you understand this part about Samaria. It says this. When a Samaritan woman came near the water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman, she knows everything I just told you. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is a crazy moment. Jesus not only stops in Samaria, but now he has this interaction with a woman. And this woman knows something about the rules of interaction between Jews and Samaritans. She knows that there's something very strange about Jesus, this guy who's all alone, in, by the well, waiting for water. Now, you should know there's something very strange about a woman going to get water by herself at noon in Samaria. Women didn't just go get water by themselves, especially not in the afternoon in Samaria. They did this if they were alone because already the community had kind of ostracized them as being women who were problematic. Not like women today who are really, really nice and proper. Problematic women. And scholars are not sure exactly what it is, but all scholars believe that this is very, very strange, that John is telling us about a woman who's at the well all by herself. It could be a few things. One, that she's a widow. It could be that she's a prostitute. It could be that she has problems with her family and she has no community and she's there alone. And this day, she meets Jesus of Nazareth who asks her for water. She knows, like, something's weird about this. What, what, what kind of water? Like, how are you going to get water? Like, are you here to talk? Are you here for a meeting? Maybe you heard the kind of reputation I have as a woman. Who are you? Why are you here? Imagine the woman. She could have had all kinds of interesting things. Why is a man here all alone? Does he know I'm going to be here all alone? You should add me on Facebook. You can read this. You just go right by it. You don't realize this. But Jesus says something really important to her that I want you to remember. He says to her, if you would know who I was, you would ask me for living water. This is Jesus' way of saying that there's actually a way of understanding your life that is governed by a principle and a God who does not give us what we deserve. And whatever story this woman is dealing with, Jesus is about to show her that there's a way of understanding her life that's different than maybe how she's understood her life before. And what we're told next is that Jesus and her have this interaction. So I want to pause right here, and I want to encourage you all, 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 everyone, okay? Who's going to do this? Everyone, read this whole chapter 4 of John's Gospel. Just read it all. So you can feel all of the interaction of Jesus and this woman. Because I'm just going to try to pull something so that you can feel the story. But it's, it's a long passage. That's what we're told at one point. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this living water, this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband. She replies to Jesus. Jesus knows something about her very, very clearly 
that she's there and Jesus wants this to come to the surface. One of the great things that Jesus constantly does for us and for this woman is to help us hear the truth that we have to hear before we can experience his freedom. Now, some of you maybe have heard this before, that one of the things about Jesus is he talks about himself as having the truth that sets us free. If you've never heard that before, it's really important to understand that, that there's something so at the core of the Bible that Jesus says that those who welcome his truth experience his freedom. The only problem is, is that sometimes to get to the freedom, we have to get honest about times when we don't want to hear the truth. We want to hear things that make us feel better. We want to hear things that make sense. And this woman kind of is in this interaction now with Jesus. And Jesus says to her, yeah, just go get your husband. And she's like, I don't have a husband. And this is what Jesus says next, which makes the story really, really important to everything I want to say. This is what it says next. Jesus said to her, you are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is, is that you have had, you've had five husbands. And the man you, you now have is not your husband. This is a special kind of guy here. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. I want you to try to understand how painful it would have been for this woman to have lived a life of having been used by five men. We don't know, some of them could have been good men who at first were their husbands, but to be a woman in the ancient world in this moment would have been easily to be a person to believe, you know what, you get what you deserve. Can you imagine Jesus saying this to her? Hey, five husbands? You know, you make a mistake once, it's your fault. You make it twice, it's my fault, right? Jesus could have said all kinds of things that we hear all the time. He could have said all kinds of things to her that reminded her, you know what? This is on you. This is your fault. What a mess. And she has no idea who Jesus is, but she realizes that he's very, very special. He knows certain things that only she would know. And you know what's profound? That the way she tells her story about who she is is that she prefers not talking about five husbands. She just says she has no husband. And Jesus says, I know. Can I tell you what's really, really important about not being those who believe in the lie of what karma teaches, that you get what you deserve? Because all of karma is based on this principle that life is filled with consequences without compassion. It's this principle that the consequences of life are you get what you deserve. If you've done something bad, you're going to pay for that. And if you lie, it's going to find you out. Right? And we all want that to be true, especially if somebody hurts us. Or like, I hope they get caught. I hope somebody finds them. Actually, this is an important part of being human. We try to feel like that that's how justice happens. Right? We'll often say, justice will be had. And if we're not careful, the Bible says that our hearts, if they're not corrected by the fact that that is true, but the God that we serve always invites us to believe those who believe in justice with a God who's always compassionate. I'm not that kind of person, by the way. I'm the kind of person that when somebody hurts me, I, I, you know, like I hope something nice happens in the future, but not right now. Now I want to see you pay because you hurt me. It's part of who we are. And actually, that's why I think karma is so enticing because it tells you that's exactly how life works. And if you're hurting and if you struggle through something, you want karma to be true. You want it to be true because you know it justifies you being angry. It justifies you not getting your way. It justifies the pain that we feel. That's why some of these myths are so powerful. It's not because they're crazy lies. It's because they have enough truth in them that they're like, I just want that to be true. 
And then we're left with Jesus saying, there's a way of life that doesn't just give you what you deserve. There's actually a way of life that invites us to see our lives as those who do experience consequences of our decisions, but with a God that is always compassionate. A God who's always forgiving. You see, because if you believe that life is built on this idea that you always get what you deserve, you then start to believe that people then don't change. Have you ever said that before? Ah, people never change. They're never going to change. Maybe you believe that about you. You've tried to change, and I'm never going to change. I'm always going to be like this. I've been with people over the years as a pastor that are like, I'm always going to be messed up. I'm always going to be single. I'm always going to be broke. I'm always going to be, I'm always, always, always. And after a while, guess what? You start to believe, maybe I just deserve this. Maybe that's just the way life is until you meet Jesus. And he says, you're feeling the consequences of your decisions. But what does it mean that there's a God who's also compassionate? who reminds you that he loves you and that he has the kind of strength that you need to get out of the cycle that you feel is killing you from the inside out. Do you know somebody who needs to meet that God? Do you know somebody who's lived their whole life living the lie of like, hey, just get what you deserve. That's just the way it is. They basically believe that what goes around comes around. And you know what? Sometimes people die. That's their fault. It's too bad. That in that world, Jesus of Nazareth comes and says, hey, hey, there is a God. There's a God who sees the most broken situation that you're in. And he invites you to believe that he's compassionate, forgiving, caring, and loving in the midst of this. Can you believe that? This is one of the most important myths that we have to create because Karma just in the air. It's like oxygen. People just say it all the time. Oh, that's the way. And if we're not careful, it actually is the opposite of the good news, which is that God changes people. He changed me. He's changing some of you. One of the great joys of being a pastor is seeing Jesus change you. I've seen people start to hear Jesus say to them that he loves them. They start to connect the dots in their minds where they saw their past and their life all filled with regrets and blaming God and blaming someone else. And they start to realize, wait a second, maybe that's not the right perspective I should have on my life. Maybe it was God trying to show me that there's consequences to my decisions, but there's compassion as well. And there's love and forgiveness and hope beyond all of these mistakes. The word that Jesus will use is that there's one who has living water. It's almost the way that Jesus is going to break this moment in the story of this woman where she's maybe prone to believe, you know what, you get what you deserve. All this baggage, this is where we're at. This is where we've arrived. And in this moment, Jesus is bringing together the truth, lies, all of these things in one moment to do something new in this woman's life. You, you just wish you had more. You just wish you can hear what, what happens next, what goes on. There's so many questions you will have after you read this chapter that Jesus and the, John doesn't give us the answers to. Like we don't know when the woman says the sinner's prayer. Some of you got that. We, we don't know the moment she gets baptized. We don't know the moment she's like, aha, this is amazing. We don't know. But we do know that his disciples will come back. And they catch him talking to this woman. And they're like, hey, uh, Jesus, we don't want to interrupt, uh, you know. But what are you doing? What's going on here? 
And in this interaction, as Jesus is doing this and the disciples are coming back, you can imagine as they're walking and they're getting closer, they're like, who is he talking with? And they're getting closer, like, oh, guys, I think he's talking to a woman. Oh, boy. You know, like just the things that we miss in the whole story. That at one point, this is what Jesus will say to this woman. Remember, they're having an interaction about Jews and Samaritans, truth and lies, how to worship, where to worship. This is all going on back and forth where Jesus is trying to talk about, hey, why are you here and where are your husbands? And how did this happen? And it's what it says near the end. It says this. Jesus will say to her, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he. In this interaction with this woman, Jesus is about to unpack not only the nature of a God who when worshipped always confronts us with the truth. Always. Because he is the truth. But also tells us that there's the kind of truth that sets us free to be his people when we realize that we live in a world of lies. In a world that tells us all kinds of other things that are not true, but that sound true just for a bit. That Jesus says that the day is coming when you will understand, and this woman kind of represents all of us. Like we're with Jesus, we're like, what's he saying? True, what? Like, what's he even doing here? This is kind of weird. Who is this guy? All of these things are kind of piling up in this moment. And maybe like the disciples, I would be like the disciples, be like, Jesus, what's going on here? What's happening in this moment? That we know something really important about the story. If you're taking notes, you want to remember this. That only Jesus and this woman are at the well, right? Have we get that? Right? So in order for John to have written this in John's gospel, who would have told John this story? Jesus. Most likely, this story would have been repeated and told again. So Jesus would have explained this to them by teaching them what this means right now. And what it means that a woman, that the Jewish people who represents all of the Samaritans, who the Jewish people did not like, people they did not want to get along. You remember, like, the path is this way, what do you do? You know, it's like when you want to avoid the 25 because you have to pay a toll. It's that feeling. It's like, I'm going this way. They would have understood that Jesus' truth is not just for them, but it's for those people that we have learned to hate our whole lives. That not only does the Samaritan woman get to experience the truth that there's living water in the midst of a broken life, that there's hope in the midst of a story that maybe it would have been easy to believe, hey, you get what you deserve. That's, that's your problem. Figure it out. You could have believed that, but not after this day can you believe that. That this day there's this moment that not only is the Samaritan woman's mind like, who was that guy? But the disciples of Jesus are going to learn the truth as well. That the freedom that Jesus offers the Samaritan woman, they themselves have to experience this was so hard for me to understand growing up because I had a view of the church of like, we have the truth, we have all the answers and all the people out there, they're liars and they don't know anything. That's how I grew up. Until I realized that a lot of times when Jesus is teaching, he's teaching the insiders and the outsiders the same thing in a different way. The Samaritan woman gets a taste of what it's like to know that we don't live in a world where we just get what we deserve. We live in a world where there's a God 
who teaches us that even in our consequences, his compassion is real. And that he can set us free in a cycle and in a world that says, no, 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 that's not how it works. People need to pay. That's how this world works. Jesus says, no, it doesn't. Not for those who trust my truth. Not for those who experience my freedom. Maybe you need to feel that or you think of someone that needs to hear this. I just pray that God would use us to be those who, we're not running around with them. I don't believe that. That's wrong. Don't believe. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. But just say, hey, What's, what's keeping you from saying yes to the freedom that God has for you? Maybe some of you are here and you've held a secret. You have a secret. Just like this woman. That you've been holding on to and you're afraid if somebody were to find out, you know, they would, you would feel ashamed, you would feel judged, whatever that is. Could it be that today Jesus is saying to you, like he said to this woman, that there's living water that sets people free when they hear the truth of God's love and compassion. And that that's available to each of us. Because we know something important in the story, although we don't know everything, we know something really important in the story. That this woman will go back to her town. And she will start to tell people that she met a man who knew everything about her. And he did something to her and she realized that this person, this man, he is the one that we need to surrender our lives to. And we're told that the whole village, the town, will come to embrace who Jesus is, a Jewish leader in a Samaritan town. Because of the testimony of the freedom that comes when a woman believes that somehow God breaks the curse of a world that says you get what you deserve. That's what you get. And you're going to live with that for the rest of your life. That in that kind of world, Jesus says there's a different way. There's a different way that can change your life. This week, you and I will go back into the world and we'll hear people talk and say things and almost connect all the pieces that'll feel like karma again. It's like just idea that's there. Or you'll hear that song and you'll be like, oh, I remember that. It's everywhere. But I, I want you all as we close, I want to do something just different, okay? And it's a big risk, especially if you're tired because I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and you're going to shut down for four days. Close our eyes, great. All right, I get a nap. I, I want you to close your eyes in a minute and I want to read something from you, for you. And I want you to hear this from someone who a few hours ago was sitting at a well by herself with all of the stories that she had told herself her whole life. Praying that nobody asked her how many husbands she had. And this day, the one with living water is there to meet her. And this is what we're told. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers.
Some of you have people in your life that need to experience the freedom of Jesus. They will only understand that when they hear of the testimony of how Jesus has set you free. They will only understand the truth when they see that truth embodied in your life. This will only happen when we are those who care about, when we see and hear lies that don't go, that, that, that don't align with the teachings of who Jesus was. This week, I'm inviting each of you to take like five minutes and go back and read John chapter 4 and feel what it would mean for this woman whose life was filled with stories about what happens and how I got here and the mess of who I am and to have met Jesus, the one who says, I have living water for you. And to have said, you are, you are the truth. You really are the truth. You really are the one who sets people free. And for the people in our town to know this woman that they've seen their whole lives to be like, Jesus has said something to her that has changed her life. That we are living in a world where people are confused about the truth that comes from a church. Because they hear it from preachers and people who can read the Bible and teach the Bible and never live the truth. It will take people like us who believe the testimony of the Samaritan woman. Who begin to speak about the kind of truth that has set us free. You know what that means? That this morning, you have to be honest about whether you're free or not. That some of you have heard someone preach about Jesus, you know the songs, you come to church, whatever, you call yourself religious, nobody cares. But you're not free. You're not the kind of person that can share with another person about the freedom that Jesus gave you. You know why? Because you're not free. And everybody knows it. And you think you can pretend to be free. You know people who can pretend to be free are people who don't have kids. It's kind of comical. I have a lot of my friends, because there's something about having your kids around you or people who are close to you, obviously friends that could tell when you're a liar. They could tell when you could pretend to care about spiritual things. But you're really not free. You still gossip, you still judge, you still believe lies. You're like everyone else. That's me sometimes. And I'm caught and I'm gripped by this moment where the Samaritan woman, the people see her and they're like, something has changed now. And they believe her. And just to wrap up with this, do you remember that we were trying to run our way through Samaria when we started this story? Do you remember we were trying to like, as fast as possible, Jesus has been there for how long now? Two more days. That he's present and he's there and he's teaching and his disciples are like, what is going on? We're so in trouble with our wives. Whatever. They're like, all those things that we read and we kind of get lost in the story. Why? Because Jesus knows that a person that he's met cannot continue living in lies. She will experience my freedom. I'm going to have you stand. What kind of question would Jesus ask you that would reveal the secrets that you're hiding? For this woman, it was about a husband. What would it be for you? What kind of thing would Jesus say to you? Well, he'd say, wait, wait a second, wait a second. 
This is not the whole truth here. Jesus has to deal with that. Jesus has to heal that moment where you've told yourself a lie. Because when that doesn't get healed, the lies of this world easily stick to that lie. So take a minute, just close your eyes, and ask Jesus to reveal that to you. In a minute, I'm going to pray that I know enough about the Bible that you can hear about the truth, you can love the truth, you can learn about the truth. But you, you could still be a liar and a corrupt preacher and someone who pretends to care about the truth. What would Jesus say to you? It's the quietest your life is going to get all week. You have a good, good father. Tell him your secret before he asks you a question. Jesus has living water for us that sets us free. That others will wonder about the freedom that is available to them. One of the greatest warnings in the Bible is the warning of a hardened heart. Someone who sees and understands God's freedom but never accepts it themselves. The symbol for this in the Bible is Pharaoh. And in the New Testament, it's the Pharisees. If that's you, woe is you. Woe is you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the lessons that we are invited to embrace as we read the scriptures. We think of your first disciples trying to make sense of what you were saying and what you were doing and how you were correcting the lies that they believed. We are here again in need of you to correct the lies of our culture. The lies that sound so true, they almost feel right, but they're wrong. They're wrong about who you are, they're wrong about your love, they're wrong about the hope that you have for us. And today, we stand on the truth of Jesus. We understand that there's consequences to decisions we make, but we understand that you're a God of compassion. And today I pray for everyone who hears and understands this freedom, this truth, that they would be open to the things that you are saying to them. That they would welcome the kind of correction and truth that really would set them free. Just like that Samaritan woman that they would not only welcome it for their lives, but they would start to share and live out of that freedom so others would want to know about you, Jesus. Make us that kind of church. Make us those kinds of people. And do it in such a way that we develop the discernment to recognize the lies in our culture, the ways they grip our hearts and begin to skew who we are 
and begin to skew what it means that you love us. Some people today, Father, need to know that you love them. They feel they've been judged. They feel the shame of mistakes. Holy Spirit, would you set them free? Just set them free. May they leave today knowing that living water has begun to flow from the inside out. I pray you would help us as we continue to be those who not only teach the truth, but live the truth in a way that honors you, Jesus. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, I just want to say thank you to many of you who are maybe uh, realizing that a series like this can be hard and be nice to just get an inspirational pep talk and ignore some of these deep things we have to work through. In a few minutes, we're going to connect with some of you maybe who are newer to the 180 and we look forward to connecting with you uh, at our newcomer's lunch. Remember, one thing to do this week. I mean, you have a lot of things to do this week, but one thing for me. Read John chapter 4. Let Jesus speak to you. God bless everyone. See you next week.